Well, let's pray as we come to God's Word. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. We come to hear from you. And we ask that we would listen. We ask that, Holy Spirit, you would work in us to bring to life these words. And Lord Jesus, may we continue to set our eyes on you that we might know, and that we might grow, and that we might show this world the life that is found in you. And so we ask that you help us now to do that. And so we commit our time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Selective hearing. It is an amazing talent uh, achieved by children uh, with very little training uh, or accomplishment. Uh, it's a very natural gift that they seem to have, uh, apparent, especially as, as uh, parents. We, we ask our children to uh, do certain things, whether it's uh, to pack their bags before school, to unpack their bags after school, to pick up things off the floor. These things seem to just pass over their heads. And yet in that very same moment where they seem to be distracted, all you need to say is chocolate or ice cream. And suddenly their attention is caught and they're fixated on you, waiting for you to deliver this prize. And we might laugh at that. We might laugh at our children, but... We adults really aren't much different, are we? We might respond to chocolate and ice cream in the same way. At least some of us do. But what catches your attention? Money. Gossip about other people. The latest entertainment. Games, movies, TV shows. What catches your attention? See, we live in a world that is filled with voices, different voices wanting our attention, our time, our energy, our lives. Whose voice are you listening to in, in this world? Whose voice do you hear? Whose voice do you choose to hear? As we continue in our series on John, we, we explore this Jesus and particularly in our recent series, the Son of God, Jesus, the Son of God. Who is this Jesus? And we saw going back to chapter 5 that he is the Son of God who is involved in the family business of giving life. He's the bread of life who, who gives to us who hunger for life. He refreshes our soul by giving the Holy Spirit. He's the light of the world. He, he points the way through life. He is the true Son. And He shines the light and helps us to see. He helps us in our blindness to see. And all of this points back to the Father. All of this points back to God the Father. That's what Jesus is about. He's in the business of giving life. And in doing that, he's pointing back to the Father. 
And it's no different as we move now into chapter 10. And as we look at these words, what do we learn? What do we see? Well, chapter 10 is a continuation of uh, what we saw in chapter 9. Uh, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. Uh, obviously, the crowd is listening in. But in chapter 9, it ends with the Pharisees asking Jesus, Are we blind too? We've just seen this man who was blind healed and able to see. And remember that before all of this, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He is here to open our eyes to see the truth, to see life. And the Pharisees wonder, because Jesus says to them, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who, will, who see will become blind. And the Pharisees respond, Are we blind too? Well, in response to this, Jesus unpacks a different picture, a different illustration, a farming illustration. One about sheep, shepherds, thieves and robbers. And as we read through, we learn some things about these thieves and robbers. We learn things about the shepherd and we learn things about the sheep. So let's just unpack that bit by bit. Well, what do we learn about the thieves? Well, right away, we're told that they don't enter through the gate. Instead, they come in through some other way. It reminds me of a time when uh, I was in the process of moving up to Toowoomba, uh, just before Julie and I were getting married, um, and we had deceptively told Julie and uh, her family that uh, we wouldn't be arriving until the next day. Uh, but uh, Julie's dad and I, we, we drove through the night, uh, and we arrived in Toowoomba, uh, it wasn't too late, maybe nine, nine o'clock or so in the evening. Uh, but instead of walking through the front door and knocking like any normal person would, uh, we decided that it would be a really great idea for me to see if there was a window or a back door that I could climb through. To say, not to say the least, uh, Julie was a little bit freaked out initially, uh, probably more surprised, uh, but I wasn't there to steal anything, at least not anything physical, material. Uh, if you want, I was there to steal her heart. Had to throw it in there. But see, normal people walk through the front door. People who are visiting friends or family that come home, they go through the front door. They, they come through the normal way. Anyone else who comes in a different way, we're very suspicious of. And these thieves, they don't come through the gate. Instead, they climb in some other way. And as a result, we're told further that they are a stranger to the sheep. They're unknown to the sheep. What about the shepherds? Well, in, they are normal. They're normal people. They, they walk and enter through the gate. There's a gatekeeper and the gatekeeper recognises them. The sheep recognise his voice. He knows the sheep by name and he leads them. He goes before them and they follow him. And what we're meant to see here is an intimacy. This isn't just 
a shepherd doing his job. No, there's a, an intimacy there. Right? The sheep belong to the shepherd. The sheep aren't just a source of income. They are part of his life. They are treasured by him. They all, he knows them by name. Uh, my little girl has a collection of toys and they cover her bed. Uh, and they all have names. You should, you should ask her one day. They all have names. And she tells us these grand stories of their advent, of adventures that they have together. And at this young age, they are more than toys. They, they make up part of her life. And she would love to take them everywhere if she could. There's an intimacy here. The shepherd knows his sheep. They're not just his possessions. He knows them. He knows them by name. But we see in verse 6 that the Pharisees don't understand this. They don't get it. Well, why is that? Well, Jesus goes on, verse 7. He says, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. And if anyone enters by me, will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. So Jesus says, I'm, I'm the doorway. I'm the, I'm the way that you can come in. And when you do that, there's salvation. There's freedom. There's pasture. There's provision. But on the flip side, do you notice what he says? Verse 8, All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. And the Pharisees should be getting this. There should be something beginning to form in their minds. We might not get that. And uh, part of that is uh, it, it comes in um, the middle of the prophets, uh, this message to God's shepherds, the leaders of his people. And we find this in Ezekiel 34. We won't read it all. Um, but... But God sends Ezekiel to the leaders of Israel. He calls them shepherds. And let me just read some of this to you. Right? This is what God says to them. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe, your clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals. But you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. And, and it, it just goes on. The whole chapter is this condemnation of these shepherds, these leaders. And Jesus speaks to the Pharisees, these people who are meant to be the leaders of the Jews. But they don't get it. Jesus turns this around on them and says, you're meant to be looking after these people, but you're not. And we actually see this back in chapter 9. What happens? You, if you remember, you have the blind man who is healed and his sight is restored. And this man is brought before the Pharisees, before the Jewish leaders. And what do they do? They condemn him. They ridicule him. Just, just let me read some of what they say to them. 
right? Verse 28 of chapter 9, they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where this man comes from. And down in verse 37, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? Lecture us. And they threw him out. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees and to anyone who, who leads the people of God now, be careful because you are meant to care for the sheep. You are meant to care for the flock. That is, you're meant to care for the people of God. But these Pharisees are in danger of being lumped in with these thieves and robbers. What do these thieves do? We see in verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's what the thief comes to do. They come to steal, kill and destroy. It's the difference between a good salesperson and a bad one. A good salesperson doesn't chase down every single person for the seller. Instead, they try and take the time to understand their customer. On the other hand, and maybe you've had this experience, I certainly have, but you have the, the salesperson who just goes in for the kill, making a sale whether or not the customer needs the product or service. They just keep pushing and pushing and pushing to try and make that sell. It's the scammers who use technology to scam old people because they don't understand, understand the abuse of email. It's the boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse who says they love you but abuses them. The Pharisees are in danger of what Jesus is saying here. They don't care about the sheep. And if that's not enough, Jesus uses a slightly different image. Verse 12, he talks of the hired hand. And we learn here that the, the hired hand doesn't own the sheep. When they see the wolf, it, they run away to save their own skin. And Jesus warns the Pharisees, not to be like this. But he doesn't leave us hanging. Instead, where these so-called shepherds have failed these people, Jesus says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. Not only is Jesus the door, the door to life, to salvation, to, to good pasture, He's the good shepherd. And unlike the thief who has come to steal and kill and destroy, what has he come to do? Second half of verse 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He says, I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And if you recall what we've been seeing through this, when Jesus says, I am, how are the people of God meant to respond? They're meant to go, I know. We know that you are who you say you are. We know that you are the gate. We know that you are the good shepherd. These are the words of God when he 
revealed himself to Moses in, in Egypt. I am who I am. He isn't like the shepherds that came before him. He's not like the thieves and robbers. He's not like the hired hand. He's the good shepherd. And what have we seen about the shepherd? He knows his sheep by name. He leads them. He goes before them. He gives them life. And what does he say here? Not just any life, but have it to the full. Abundant life. And what, he, what, what more does he do? I am the good shepherd, he says. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In contrast to the hired hand who runs away when the wolf comes, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And again, this is, this is the heart of the gospel. This is the heart of the Christian faith. That Jesus would lay down his life for his sheep, for his people. And let me, let me sidetrack here a little bit. Because people get all caught up with Jesus saying that he's the only way to God. They get all hung up because he says, I am the gate, I am the door for the sheep. And the only way to God is to come through him. People get all hung up on that. But let me ask you this. What other way to God, what other way to life is marked by the blood of its Saviour? What other way to God is covered with the blood of its Saviour? Now, there are plenty of paths of God that are covered with the blood of martyrs. There are plenty of people who have shed their blood for religious ideas. But how many of those paths are covered by the very God who saves them? Jesus, the good shepherd, lays down his life for his sheep. Why does he do that? He does that because he knows his sheep. This isn't just a head intellectual knowledge. He doesn't just know about his sheep. He knows his sheep. And we have to understand that when the Bible talks about knowing people, whether that's God knowing people or whether that's people knowing people, it's not talking about this knowledge. It's not talking about our mind. It's not talking about our intellect. It's not talking about information. It's talking about something deeply personal and relational. Jesus talks about this knowledge the way that the Father knows the Son and the Son knows the Father. Right? Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 15. Jesus lays down his life because there is a deep, personal, relational, intimate relationship. There's a deep knowledge, a deep knowing of his sheep. And that's why he lays down his life. He doesn't lay down his life for anyone for, for some stranger. No, he lays down his life for his sheep that he knows and loves. And it's not just 
these sheep. Jesus is talking to the Jews. But what does he say? He says there are other sheep, verse 16, that are not of this sheep pen, and I must bring them also. The Jews who hear this are thinking of themselves, but Jesus says, no, there are others, non-Jews, non-Israelites, Gentiles, like you and me. And Jesus isn't interested in just saving a subset people, group of people in the world. He's not just here to save a small group of people. No, he is here for the world. He's here to save the whole world. And how does he do this? Because he has authority. He lays down his life, verse 18, of his own accord, and he has authority to lay it down and to take it up again. And this is what he has received. This is the command he has received from God the Father, his Father. Jesus is in the business of giving life. And he does that by laying down his life. But he doesn't leave it there. He takes it up again. Not only will he go to the grave for the sins of the world, for your sins and mine, he will rise Again, he will rise from the grave and show us what life in him looks like. That's what Jesus does. And there's so much more that we can unpack here. But what do we do with all of this? How do we understand all of this? Jesus says, I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. And the question that comes is, do you hear his voice? Do you hear his voice? Do the, his sheep hear his voice? Do you hear his voice? Do you, do you hear him speak in the midst of your discontentment and frustrations of your heart? Do you hear him calling out in, the, in your search for a full and meaningful life, an abundant life? Do you hear him calling out? Do you hear him roaring at the things of your life that will seek to steal and kill and destroy you? Do you hear him crying out, roaring against the enemies that threaten the life that he offers you? Do you hear him? Jesus is the gate. You come through him and there is salvation. There is freedom to go in and go out. There is safety there. And to find pasture. And it, 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 for those of us who know these words, they ring of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me to pastures. And it goes on and on. And, and it, it, this is what Jesus offers. He offers life. He offers to shepherd us. To lead us. So that we might lack nothing. That we might lie down in peace. Besides quiet waters. Refresh our souls. He gives us the spirit to refresh our souls. He guides us along the right paths. 
for his name's sake. And even though you might walk through the darkest valley, you will fear no evil, for Jesus is with you. He will comfort you. He prepares a table before your enemies. He anoints your head with oil. Goodness and love will follow you all the days of your life and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Go read Psalm 23. They are beautiful words. The Lord is my shepherd. Do you hear his voice? Who are you listening to in this world? Who are you listening to in this life? Who are you following? What will you gain? Jesus paints the picture of him as the shepherd, but on the other side are thieves, robbers, hired hands. The thief and the robber steal, kill and destroy. What are you following in life? What will you gain from that? Is it money or success, your job, your security, power? over control over life relationships whether that's your your spouse your partner your girlfriends your boyfriend your friends are they the ones that you follow for life there's nothing wrong with them but if you follow them for life where will they lead you and in the extreme cases, how many examples do we have of where those things will lead us? The endless pursuit of money and status and friends. How many stories of celebrity drug overdoses will it take to show us that status and popularity mean nothing? How many dictatorial and communist regimes and overpowering people do we need to witness to see that power leads nowhere and our pursuit of work how many hours do you need to work until you are satisfied with what you gain I can think of people who, who just work ridiculous hours and they are driven by all sorts of expectations, whether that's uh, cultural expectations, whether that's parental expectations, whether that's their personal expectations. When is enough enough? These things in life, when you pursue them, if they are not good, they will not give you life. They will destroy your life. They will steal whatever you have. They will kill what life you have and they will destroy it. And here is Jesus, the good shepherd, who lays down his life and he will give you life. Life to the full. He lays down his life for you. But here's the thing, you need to receive it. I, I read a story um, about a man back in uh, 1830 
uh, George Wilson. He was convicted of robbing uh, the US mail and he was sentenced to be hanged. And the president at the time, President Jackson, uh, President Jackson issued a pardon for him, but he refused to accept it. And so the matter was brought to the Chief Justice, uh, Chief Justice Marshall, and he concluded that Wilson would have to be executed. And this is what he said. A pardon is a slip of paper, the value of which is determined by the acceptance of the person to be pardoned. If it is refused, it is no pardon. George Wilson must be hanged. This is what Jesus offers you. He offers you life, the free gift of life, a pardon from sin and death. A pardon from this pursuit of thieves and robbers in life that will steal, kill and destroy. He offers you life, but it is no good if you don't receive it. It is a free gift. It is a presidential pardon. But if you do not receive it, then you must be hanged. Death waits for you. You join with the thief and the robber in death. Because Jesus, only Jesus is the gate, the door to life. And you must walk in to receive that life. Will you receive that life? And yet the sad news is that there are those who will not. They will not believe and we, we see the Jews, some of these Jews who will not. Jesus says, you do not believe because you do not hear my voice. You are not my sheep. Verse 26. Why don't they listen? Why don't they follow him? Because they want him to fit their idea of life. Right? The Jews turn to Jesus and say, if you are the Christ, if you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. What's going on behind that question? It's, we want you to fit our ideas. We want you to fit our idea of what a full life looks like. And we've seen this before, right? In all these chapters we've read from in these past number of weeks, we see this come up over and over again. The Jews want Jesus to fit their box of life. They want Jesus to fit their idea of life. Right? Remember when he fed the 5,000 plus people? They said, what must we do to earn this life? But this life that they want is basically freeloading of Jesus. They're not interested, they're not even concerned about the spiritual life that he is offering them. But see, this is the thing. You can't put Jesus in your box of life. Jesus is way bigger than that. Jesus is more than that. Do you know what the difference between Pepsi Max is and Pepsi? Coke Zero and normal Coke? 
They remove the sugar and replace it with an artificial sweetener. And by doing that, they reduce the calories in the drink so that you can drink it without feeling guilty. But see, that's not what Jesus is offering here. Don't get the wrong idea. Jesus isn't offering you eternal life. He's not offering you this salvation as an artificial or superficial replacement for life. No, he's offering you something so much more. See, it's not meant to be this temporary relief from the guilt of sin. It's not meant to be this temporary relief from the shame and fear that we experience in life. No, what Jesus is offering is meant to be full, rewarding, abundant. And what Jesus offers is life to the full, or as I like to say, life to the max. Jesus isn't offering some artificial, superficial replacement. No, he is offering you something so much better. He is offering you eternal life. A life without guilt, a life without shame, a life without fear, a life without the condemnation and judgment of sin hanging over your head because he is the good shepherd. And he calls out to you, will you hear him? But maybe you've, you've got doubts about Jesus. Maybe you're not sure. But see, when you come to Jesus, he gives you a guarantee. We've already said that he lays down his life. And he gives eternal life, life to the max. But he adds one more thing. He guarantees that no one can take you out of his hands. Once you give your life to Jesus and your life is in his hands, no one can take you away. No one can take that life away. Verse 29. My father who has given them the sheep, his people to me, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Why? Because the Father is greater than all. All things, all people, all threats, these wolves, these thieves, these robbers, God is greater, the Father is greater than them all. No one can snatch them out of his hands. They are safe and secure. There's a phrase, you may have heard it, as safe as Fort Knox. Do you know what Fort Knox is? Uh, Fort Knox is technically a military base, but most people talk about the US depository that holds a large portion of the US gold reserves. Um, currently, they, they say about four tonnes, 4,000 kilos of gold sits in its vaults. No visitors are allowed. No one person knows how to access the vaults. Very few people know the physical structure and layout and contents of the fort. And to top it off, did I mention that Fort Knox is a military base? It's considered by most people to be one of the most secure buildings in the world. And yet Jesus says, my father is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my hand. How good is Jesus' guarantee? Well, it's not as safe as Fort Knox. 
It's eternally safer than Fort Knox. My father is greater than all. And when you give your life to Jesus, it is safe and secure. You don't need to doubt. You don't need to worry. You don't need to be anxious about your life when it is in Jesus' hands. It is safer than Fort Knox. But when you do worry, when you do doubt, and when those anxieties come about faith and life, come back to what Jesus has said. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father is greater than all. There, that, those are words of assurance. Those are words of confidence. Those are words of safety. They are the words of the Good Shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He is the gate who through him you can enter and be saved. You can go in and out because you are safe in his hand. And you will find pasture. You will find what you need. But maybe these words aren't enough. Maybe, like the Jews, you listen to these words and you're like, I don't get it. I don't understand it. What is he saying? Well, Jesus doesn't leave you out in the lurch. He doesn't leave you out in the dark. Because what does he say? Verse 37. Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. If Jesus' words don't make sense or you don't understand them, look at his works. Look at his life. Read through John as we've been doing and see what Jesus does. Don't just see what he says. See what he does. See how he lives. Because what does Jesus say? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me. Right? Jesus wants us to see by the way that he lives, by the works that he does, that he is in the family business of giving life. God is in the business of giving life and Jesus wants to show us that he wants to give life. So if you don't believe that he's... If you don't believe his words, look at his life. Look at what he does. Just read them. Listen to them. Are these the words? Is this the life of a raving mad lunatic, or as the Jews call him, a demon-possessed man? Is this the kind of man that Jesus is? Or is there something else? Is what Jesus sh showing us by the way that he lives and the way that he works, the way that he goes about life, is he showing us that maybe there is an alternative? That there is some other way to life? That that way is him. When you, you buy a product or you consider a business, uh, 
most people will look at reviews or ask their friends for their opinions. Uh, what's your experience? What do you think of this? And Jesus is putting himself up for review. Check him out. Check out his life. Check out other people and their reviews of Jesus. But one other thing is you need to check whether it's a verified purchase. I don't know if you've noticed this on certain review sites. They have this reviewed purchase, a verified purchase badge on their reviews. And they confirm that the person making the review has genuinely bought the product that they're reviewing. And we have to make sure that when we review Jesus, that we verify that these people that we hear from have given their lives to Jesus, that they live life following Jesus. Because see, that's the thing. Unless you receive Jesus and allow him to transform your life, you have no idea the life that he is offering you. And you have no idea what it offers other people. And so for the Christian then, it places... It should give us a moment of pause. It should make us think for a moment about the way we live. Because people will not only listen to the words that we say, but they will watch the way that we live. Because what we say may point to Jesus, there may be truth in those words, but if those words are not reflected in the way that we live, people might not see Jesus. And yes, we seek to speak the truth in love. We proclaim the gospel in our schools, in our workplaces, in our families, in our neighbourhoods. But our lives also need to point to Jesus. It's, it needs to work together. And Jesus puts himself up on show. Now, I'm not saying that we're all, always going to get it right. We're not always going to live life the way that we should. We're not perfect. We're not there yet. But do we seek and do we strive to live our lives in such a way that people will get a glimpse of Jesus? Because that's what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is putting himself up for show, up for review. Check him out. Check out not just his words, but his life. Do they match up? And do they maybe point that there is something more in life. As people, we're really good at selective hearing. We're good at filtering out noise. We're good at tuning in to things that sometimes we shouldn't. Sometimes we know where that will lead us. But more important, over all those things is, do you hear Jesus' voice? Do you hear him calling out in the midst of all those noises, in the midst of all those voices? Do you hear the shepherd calling out to you? Because he is. He's calling out to you. And if you are hearing these words, he is calling out to you now. Will you hear them? Will you receive them? And will you receive the life, life to the full, life to the max, that Jesus 
offers you by laying down his life? Do you hear his voice? Or do you hear some other voice? Do you hear voices that take you away down some unknown path? Path that will lead to death, where thieves and robbers will steal, kill and destroy. Because Jesus is calling out to you and he wants you to hear his voice, to come into his sheep pen, to come through the gate and to find life in him. Life to the full. Life to the max. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and I pray that people will come to you now and that they will remember the life that is found in you and maybe for the first time discover the life that is found in you. Will they look to Jesus, the good shepherd, the gate for the sheep, for us to walk in and to find life, life to the full. And Father, if there are any doubts or worries or anxieties, any uncertainties about Jesus, will you show them the guarantee, the confidence, the security that is found in him? That when we are in your hands, no one can take us away. No one can take us, snatch us from your hand. We are safe and secure there. So will you help us to, to, to do that, to trust Jesus, to give our lives to him? And if we're not sure, to consider seriously his life and his actions, not just his words, but his life. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will work in people to, to reveal to them, help them to see the life that is offered by the Good Shepherd that lays his life down for his sheep. And so, Father, I pray these things in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen.